where we're at today is there is no software, there is no artificial intelligence that has the experience or the prediction capability or the instincts that an experienced driver has. I'm Todd Dills, and we're going to do something a little different on Little Drive Radio today. The podcast will transport you, like so many futuristic teleporting time machines, uh, back to a Thursday, August 22nd panel at the Great American Trucking Show in Dallas this year. That panel, as you may have guessed from the brief clip at the top, was all about the notion of a quote-unquote driverless truck. Speaking up top was, and apologies if I'm butchering the pronunciation of his last name, Ognan Stojanovsky. Ogden is one of the engineers behind the Pronto Company, which happens to have been uh, co-founded by a man whose name will be somewhat more familiar to Overdrive readers, Anthony Lewandowski. Remember Otto? The company that pulled that marketing stunt with the beer hall out in Colorado a few years back, bought by Uber, then basically shut down as Uber turned to brokerage uh, more exclusively with its freight division. Anthony Lewandowski is also, as I wrote in late 2017, the founder of uh, what was at the time, and I believe still is, called the, quote, uh, Way of the Future Church, founded basically to worship at the altar of artificial intelligence. No joke. Lewandowski's also currently facing criminal charges brought by the feds for theft of trade secrets from his time at Google. Search his name at overdriveonline.com to read more in our report about that. That's Anthony Lewandowski, L-E-V-A-N-D-O-W-S-K-I. Nonetheless, Pronto, with whom uh, Lewandowski appears to be holding no um, official role at at present, uh, shifted gears from the sort of full autonomous proselytizing that its founder's predecessor company seemed to be after. As you'll hear throughout the presentation, Ognin Stojanovsky's skepticism about fully driverless technologies for the near future was actually a refreshing part of all that, given the optimism companies like his have officially displayed... uh, over the years, uh, to the dismay of so many of the drivers out there. He, as he puts it midway through the talk, the marketing departments of our companies are years ahead of where the engineering departments are, uh, quote-unquote there. Joining Ogden from Pronto on the GATS uh, panel was Paul Schlegel, who's less a tech entrepreneur than he is a trucker, really. But he's over operations with Starsky Robotics, which is operating a small fleet of near... 50 trucks, with a few in the fleet that are outfitted with redundant camera and radar and other technologies that are steadily moving toward more autonomous operation in testing along short, repeatable hauls. These trucks, while testing, are operated both by an in-cab driver and a remote driver sitting at a desk in front of a wide display that is intended to allow the desk operator to control the truck manually, remotely, when needed. Meantime, the rest of the Starsky company operates just like any other trucking company does, as you'll hear in the talk that follows. Likewise, quite a lot about the company's vision for the future of its trucking operation and how the driver really fits into that. Here's CCJ editor and overdrive equipment editor and my colleague Jason Cannon setting up the talk a bit, making reference to the degrees of automation specified in five separate levels with Level 1 driver assist technologies being like uh, basic cruise control and some other functions. And uh, level 5 being the highest envisioned level of tech self-control, as it were. He pitches pretty early on in the presentation to uh, Ognum with Pronto. The next voice you'll hear. 
I spend a lot of time talking about this. I know these two guys do too. So we just want to make sure everybody's on the same page as we start talking about self-driving versus driver assist or, or automated assist. It's, it, it's all, we're all kind of shooting at the same target here. But um, you know, while we're kind of on that, we're basically at a level two of today, right? So what's, what's, what's actually commercially viable today? We, we, we read the articles, we see the, the pictures, we see the tweets, the YouTube videos of the self-driving cars, the self-driving trucks, but what's real world in 2019? What is a, a self-driving technology today? Ogden, let's just start uh, us off. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, we're starting to enter the world of level two today. Um, you know, we have the first uh, level two system we're introducing in trucking. Uh, level two has existed for a few years, as I said, in high-end passenger vehicles and high-end cars already. Um, but what we have in trucks today is, you know, basic cruise control, so more like a level one and sort of really the initial collision mitigation type systems. And we're trying to bring that level two functionality. So we're just entering that. I think that's where it's going to stay for the next few years, getting better and better level two type functionalities. So what that means is the truck, the technology, the software can control the braking and the steering um, and the throttle of a vehicle to basically keep it centered in a lane for extended periods of time, possibly for hours at a time, hundreds of miles at a time, and keep a safe distance from the truck in front of it. But what it doesn't do with the, with the technology where it's not is, is to sort of make all the, everything else that the driver does, right? Monitor the road fully, make all the decisions, anticipate what's happening with the surrounding traffic. And so it still very much requires a fully alert, experienced, active driver behind the wheel, uh, you know, to, to, to make sure that, that everything's doing right. Because while the technology is not getting tired, it's not getting fatigued, it, 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 where we're at today is there is no software, there is no artificial intelligence that has the experience or the prediction capability or the instincts that an experienced driver has, which is what you would need to start to get to a level four or five type deployments at some point in the future. The next voice you'll hear here is uh, that of Paul Schlegel with uh, Starsky Robotics. You know, when I joined Starsky, one of the reasons that I did was um, when I looked at autonomous, I said, you know, that's a long ways off. And I would agree um, that autonomous in a commercial setting, uh, coast to coast on every lane is a long ways off, a very long ways off. Uh, Starsky's approach is to do repeatable lanes, short repeatable lanes, validate those lanes to a point where um, you, if something happens on that lane or something changes from the last time you were through there, you have a um, overlapping safety mechanism that can operate the equipment. We do believe that um, on these short lanes that uh, we're anywhere from six to 12 months from being able to take a driver out of a truck on a short lane and run it from the shipper to the consignee. So um, the, the approach that Starsky takes is limit the variables. So if you limit the variables, you operate on the same lanes, you validate those same lanes day in and day out. When there is a problem, the, um, you can identify that problem quicker. So a lot of people ask, you know, well, you do use artificial intelligence and all of this other thing and machine learning. And our approach really does not rely uh, solely on machine learning. The way we look at it is if we operate the same lane 100 times, 
and there's something in the road, then your system recognizes that sooner than what a driver would recognize that, can make the decision quicker to take the appropriate action to avoid having, having an incident or an accident. So it's very different than people that are driving, you know, or companies that are saying, hey, we're gonna go coast to coast, we're gonna prepare for every inevitable situation, we're gonna drive in all kinds of weather. What we're looking at it is short, repeatable lanes, validate the safety, and then take the driver out of the truck and be able to operate that continuously. Let's jump in a little bit with uh, each of you two guys' company's strategy toward autonomy. Starsky's a little unique from Pronto. Pronto's a little unique from Starsky in that you're approaching this, uh, you're both going in the same direction, but you're going two different ways. So, um, Paul, tell us a little bit about some of the validation, some of the testing, and um, some of the efforts you guys are making. And to, you know, you'd mentioned um, taking the driver out of the truck uh, under certain circumstances. So tell us a little bit about how you see the driver getting out and then when the driver is needed and some of the tests that you've done through that. Yeah, so um, uh, on Father's Day, uh, we did a 10 mile unmanned run in Florida. Um, I think it's called uh, Yeehaw Junction. Uh, it's Yeehaw Junction. Yeehaw, Yeehaw sorry, Junction. Yeehaw, sorry. Um, from a uh, rest area to a rest area. Uh, that validation, we did that run over 140 times uh, without incident. And what I say by without incident, a lot of companies that are looking at the AV space are counting the number of disengagements they have. Well, we don't do that because a disengagement is an accident. So we don't want to use a disengagement for that validation. Some companies are saying, hey, how many miles have you driven autonomously? Well, we don't use miles driven autonomously. We look at trips and we say, we have to be able to take a trip from, from one location to another location. And if there was not a driver in that truck, nothing would have happened. Our systems have been set up to, to self-validate and to self-assess uh, uh, how they're operating. So we avoid having you know, issues because we also have a remote driver who is there to take over in the case of something going wrong. And if the system says, hey, there's a problem, then you, you go into, uh, self, or into uh, remote mode. Uh, we did that lane 140 times. And on the 141st time, we took the driver out on a public road and drove 10 miles without incident. Uh, the driver that actually drove the truck from the uh, rest area to the highway, he is here. Uh, he's at our booth, so you can come meet him. His name's Jeff, uh, and he's the one that did the, the remote driving. Paul is uh, making reference here to ex-owner operator Jeff Runyon, so you can find a little more about him via a Channel 19 blog post I put together about a year ago. Search Jeff Runyon's, R-U-N-I-O-N-S, that is, at overdriveonline.com to find that. And then for once we got it out on the highway, that was completely with all of the technology within the truck, drove that uh, to the next exit where he got off. Ogden, how, how about walk us through some of you guys' technologies and some, how you validate that in your attack? Yeah, so, so our attack, I'd say, is pretty different um, in the sense that we do 
try to go everywhere. You know, we've driven in all lower 48 states and six of the Canadian provinces. We design technology that will work on any highway in most weather conditions. You know, we don't approve use right now for customers to use it in snow, rain, thunderstorms, winds, but we have done testing in that. You know, we've done snowstorms in New York. We've done thunderstorms at nighttime in Nebraska. We've done 40 mile uh, an hour crosswinds with wind gusts of 60 miles an hour in Idaho. Uh, we're sort of seeing it all because we're limiting the feature set because we're not trying to do a driverless truck. We're not trying to do a so-called level four system. Um, and as a result, because our safety case is built around a person in the seat at all times fully engaged, we're limiting uh, the functionality and making it really robust so it does work everywhere, it does scale, um, and it can go in all conditions. And so because it's a level two driver assist system that brings an additional layer of safety to the driver to help ease their basic physical fatigue so that they can then have more attention to be able to, to stay alert and fully engaged for longer. Um, it, it's just a somewhat different approach. Um, you know, we did, uh, and, and that's partially because, you know, we think there's a basic science, a fundamental breakthrough that we're still waiting for in order to actually get to a point where you could actually take a, a driver um, uh, fully out of the loop. Uh, I mean, I realize you guys keep the driver very much in the loop remotely and, and through other ways, but I'm talking about entirely taking a driver out of the loop is, 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 is quite a ways off. So we, you know, I mean, I think as far as demos goes, constrained routes, I think still what we did with our, with my previous Venture Auto, um, I mean, that's the kind of demo where we delivered 120 miles on a commercial basis, you know, with a driver out of the seat. Um, three years ago, it was kind of ahead of its time. I think that kind of demo won't happen again um, for, for quite a while. Um, but even that, right, we did that hundreds of times before we did that one attempt. Um, but even, you know, hundreds of times for that kind of demonstration for us, a, a driver shouldn't be crashing every 100 trips or 200 trips or 300 trips, right? Even that's too, that would be not in any sense better than, than, a, than a driver would be just, just driving the way they do today. So that's why for us it's really important to keep the driver engaged and be realistic about where the state of the art is and just add technology as a safety layer um, on top and then try to take that constrained, admittedly constrained feature set and scale it out across the country on, uh, on all highways. Kind of along those lines, <clears throat> how do you guys see the path toward level five developing? I mean, you, Starsky's still got the, the human element heavily involved, and then uh, Pronto's kind of trying to slowly work the human out of it. So what, what's the path to level five look like for, from a Starsky perspective? Well, from a Starsky perspective, um, we are not shooting for level five. Uh, we are looking for supervised autonomy at all times. That's why we have a trucking company, that's why we are you know, actively hiring drivers, because we believe that we will always have a need for drivers. Um, I do believe that the technology will develop over time where you, know, you can hit a button and you can make a turn, you know, and, and it will, the system will do that, but right now, uh, that's not available. By keeping the driver engaged and you know, there, uh, we give jobs to drivers, but it could the, the future job of the driver potentially is you get to go home every night. Uh, you you know pick up your lunchbox, you go in, you check in, and and you sit down you know in like what would be an air traffic control center. Uh, you may have ten drivers in there operating more than ten trucks, and those drivers then will supervise that truck at all times. So we're, we're not moving or planning any time in the near future to go to level five. Uh, we believe that it's important that 
um, a driver is always engaged uh, at this point. Uh, we think it's a long ways off for level five. Ogden, same question. How do you see us getting to full self-driving? Yeah, so I think it's going to be pretty evolutionary uh, to get there. Um, before, you know, there's a lot of analogies made to aviation for level four autonomous vehicles. How does it compare to autopilot on planes, right? But right now, we're where aviation was 100 years ago, right? Not where aviation is today. And so before the Wright brothers built an airplane, they first built a kite and they built a really good kite, the world's best kite. Then they tried to build a glider and even built a wind tunnel to test the glider. And only then did they sort of slowly work their way up to, uh, to an airplane, right? And it's the same thing with, you know, or the, or the industry autonomous vehicles are talked of as moonshots, right? But even the actual moonshot of the Apollo program, right? That built on the Gemini missions, the Mercury missions, it's all been sort of evolutionary in tech. And so that's why we're trying to introduce this Copilot product as a level two system. I mean, I think most of you that drive trucks, you'll agree that the features, the safety, convenience features you find in your trucks are not as good as the stuff you have even in your basic passenger cars today, right? So we gotta make, first we gotta get trucks to where cars are today, then we gotta perfect that and add like additional safety on top of it so that the trucks become even better than cars on the highways with respect to safety and convenience. And then over time, we might get to some um, level four, level five type deployments. But again, that's not a thing that's guaranteed to happen. If you throw a lot of money and engineers at that problem, it's not guaranteed to be solved because we're waiting for a fundamental science breakthrough on the artificial intelligence side. It might happen, I happen to think it might happen someday, but, but who knows, it could be completely wrong about that, but we can't sort of bet and wait for that to, to possibly happen someday, right? Like, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, and I can't tell you when that's gonna be because it's a basic science issue, it's not an engineering and sort of applied uh, problem. So I think it's gonna be an evolutionary path um, to get there. And I think in the meantime, that's gonna move the bar for driverless trucks and autonomous trucks higher because as you start to introduce these more sort of constrained technologies, um, then, then it becomes that person plus technology drives better than maybe person without technology today. But to somehow get to the point where technology by itself drives better than a person, that bar is gonna keep getting raised higher, right? Because by us introducing Copilot into the market, that makes it harder to make the case that technology can drive safer than a person because we believe a person with our technology with Copilot will be much safer and therefore it sets the bar even higher for somehow having an unmanned vehicle on the roads. Paul, do you have something to add? Um, just the other thing that I think has to happen for us ever to get to the level five is uh, government and you know, local and, and uh, federal government involvement. Uh, you know, obviously regulations are being put in place. We actually have a government affairs officer that is working to help uh, improve the uh, AV laws in, in across the nation. Um, but I believe that, you know, it's also going to be uh, up to local municipalities to be able to say, you know, hey, do you have dedicated lanes? Do you have, um, you know, situations where you, you convert your, um, your HOV lanes over to autonomous? Um, so those are the things that also I think will help, you know, that in the future. We're not there yet, though. I mean, those government agencies and, um, you know, local and, and federal um, municipalities, they don't have the knowledge at this point, but, but we're working towards getting them there. That actually kind of walks us into my, what was my next question about regulations. <clears throat> A lot of what we've talked about, the level five, the driver not in the cab, is not even legal unless you're in 
certain conditions. The state of Florida is relatively friendly. Uh, Arizona is pretty friendly. I think Nevada, California, and Michigan. But for the most part, there's 30-something states that you can't even execute a lot of your testing in. So are we at a point to where is technology ahead of regulation? Is regulation holding technology back? Uh, You and I earlier had a pretty interesting conversation about regulation is kind of where we are so uh, what are what are your thoughts on how do technology and regulations are are they button heads i mean i I certainly don't think they're butting heads today as far as driverless type deployments because the technology is not there right so yes you can't go driverless (laughs) in most states but there are states you could i mean you could do it in texas actually you could do it in colorado the the states that you named Uh, but the point is um it's not ready so i think there's a tendency sometimes in an industry to say, you know, if, if the regulations were in place, you could go driverless. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying. It, it, and I wish no, sort not. of sometimes that that uh, that government would sort of call our bluff and our bluster and be like, oh, okay, go ahead, two thumbs up. If you can do it, go for it. Like, put it out there. I don't think anybody would actually be able to deliver. If suddenly FMCSA, DOTs across the states were like, do it. Give me a regular, commercially viable, I'm not talking about a demo, like an everyday type repeatable operation. I don't think any, any of our companies could step up and do that because the tech's not there. So I think the regulatory challenge is going to be important. I agree with you on that. I think it's, it's important to think ahead to those things. But I certainly wouldn't say regulations are blocking anything right now because I think, if anything, uh, let's put it this way, the marketing departments of our companies are years ahead of where the engineering departments are. And so I think it's not, that's not the regulators. Yeah, so um, we operate in the southeast. And the southeast has been somewhat friendly to autonomous vehicles. Uh, obviously, Florida, at this point, you can take a driver out of the truck and you can operate um, you know, the, the truck without a driver. Uh, Texas is also one of those states that you can. Uh, we, as I mentioned, we have hired a government affairs um, you know, individual that works on helping states to understand autonomy so that they can draft bills that you know, are, are safe and that can be accepted by by those individual states. Um, you know, I would agree. Um, I don't think we're at a point where we're really butting up against any uh, you know government agency. In fact, uh, when I was in Alabama, we met with all the state legislatures, and um, it was very interesting because they just put this invite out for the transportation committee, and out of forty some uh, state. Uh, legislators, we had uh, 20-some that showed up. So they're very interested in, in helping to move this, this forward. Uh, our approach as Starsky Robotics is that we want to be able to operate repeatable lanes in Texas and Florida, because those are the states that have been very open to it. Uh, repeatable thing. Uh, this is not at this point, you know, we're planning on taking the driver out of the truck. Um, and then eventually across the I-10 corridor. So as I mentioned earlier, our approach really focuses on minimizing the variables. And when you minimize the variables and you validate a lane and you do it safely and you can do it uh, repeatably, then you can have a business case and say, you know what, on this lane, I can haul freight safely and, and effectively and efficiently, but we're not looking to you know, run coast to coast. I mean. It'll be Texas, Florida, and if we can get the I-10 corridor within the next, you know, couple of years, that, you know, our technology probably will be at a point where we're wanting to test and eventually be able to run on those lanes. 
And for us, there's plenty of freight in that area that we have a business validation case just in that area because we could, we could haul all the freight we could handle in just that area. What about training to use these type systems? I mean, driving a truck's not easy, but now I've got all these extra sensors, all these extra softwares, and it's supposed to make, make it safer and easier, but if, if I don't manage it correctly, it's actually gonna make everything harder and worse. So how do you educate, if you're having a conversation with a, with a carrier or with a driver, what sort of education do you have to extend to kind of show them, you know, this is how this works, this is how you use this correctly, this is kind of how you get the, this is how you get the juice from the squeeze? Yeah, sure, I mean, I'd say there, there's certainly no substitute for good training, um, you definitely need that. So a lot of our training actually has to do with what our system does not do rather than what it does do because it's pretty intuitive you'll you can quickly understand that hey you know this does do the steering and the braking and the throttle for me it'll keep us safe distance in lane but it's again you don't want people sort of over trusting and pretending they have a robot truck before they actually do right and taking a nap or getting out of the seat or doing anything like that right so it's our training really emphasizes the limits of the system and responsibility there uh, rather than what it does i think uh, yeah, you mentioned adding more sensors, making it complicated. Again, our approach is you got to minimize all that, minimize the hardware, minimize the new sensors. All we do is we add one, one, one camera that's forward-facing in a computer, and we treat it much more as a software problem rather than a hardware one where you're adding a lot of sensors. So you have to be really, we think, hardware light and software heavy. And finally, you have to really minimize the sort of the false positives. I think a lot of the problem truck drivers, the feedback we've re received anyway, I'd love to talk with people afterwards, uh, for those of you that drive for a living, um, with the existing generation of systems is that they get too many beeps and too many lights and too many whiffle, whistles with these false positives or it breaks for an overpass or does locks up the brakes on weird things. And so like, that's what we have to be aware of and we have to be, treat that as a crucial part of the user experience. You're not gonna improve safety if you're constantly sort of crying wolf or doing these weird things, right? And so so that's where, where we focus on uh, on as well, but yeah, training is, is key for everything. If you're driving with a commercially available assist system today, have you experienced the kinds of, quote, false positives Ogden's talking about here? I know I've heard uh, stories of that from many drivers out there, and I spoke with a driver at Gantz, actually, who earmarked a particular bridge on I-81 as a problematic spot where his active braking system more than once uh, seemed to recognize bridges up ahead as an object in the road, and accordingly, Go into a dramatic uh, automatic deceleration. That's exit 217, I believe, in Hartford, Pennsylvania on I-81. Have you seen similar there? Elsewhere? You can dial into our podcast line anytime at 530-408-6423 to detail your experience. Be sure to state your name and location with any message. The truck in question, though, with his tale of acting, active braking false positives on I-81, he also wondered aloud at the dynamic of such events when it comes to, to you know, effectively testing technology on the open roadway with little knowledge out there about that reality among the general public. If these kinds of incidents are common, uh, why is the technology being deployed? Paul Schlegel of Starsky Robotics uh, uh, turned the conversation in a different route, uh, backing up in his answer to the question about training uh, to detail his own prior experience in trucking and how that dovetails with his work today. The reason I, I joined Starsky is to actually develop and, and grow out our trucking business. 
So with my experience, I was 27 years with Schneider, uh, had operated in various safety functions, training functions. I set up the CDL program uh, for third-party testing for Schneider, uh, worked for Stevens Transport here in Dallas um, for four years on their executive team and was a part of the safety programs that they had over there. And then I worked for Roadrunner and, and all of those companies were very, very safety focused. So me coming into Stursky is about developing, first of all, a safe trucking company with safe drivers. So, uh, you know, bringing in the right drivers, those drivers that have a good safety record that are going to operate your equipment uh, in the proper way validating them by letting them drive in a regular over-the-road operation so you can see how they perform and then at the same time equipping your trucks so that you also know that you're not going to have issues with the truck so we we operate every truck before we turn it into an AV truck we operate it in our over-the-road trucking business for a period of time by doing that we also know hey you know, even when you buy 10 new trucks, one of them's gonna have some little issues that you're gonna have to work through. So we work through those, then we, then we convert that over. So the training is that we bring them in, we operate them for a period of time before they can be promoted. Once they're promoted, they're promoted to the first level, which is a safety driver, which is a driver that sits behind the wheel while we are testing uh, the fleet. That way they get to understand and know how, you know, when they should, uh, you know, grab the wheel or when they should disengage the, um, the AV system. And then eventually, then they can move into the, the teleops function, which is the remote driving. And we have a full safety program around bringing people up to speed in, you know, in areas. We've shut down highways. Uh, in Florida, they shut down the HOV lanes and let us operate and test. Uh, on those lanes so that we can make sure that, again, that we're safe and that the, the things that we're doing um, are in line with, you know, proper training and, and proper safety. All right, here's the $64,000 question. A lot of drivers are in the audience. We're, we're talking about driverless trucks. How does the role of the truck driver change as we go from level two to three to four to five? Uh, what does is the job description get wider? Does it go away? What 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 does a truck driver look like in a driverless truck? Um, well, in a driverless truck, I'd say there is no driver, so that's again would <laughs> be unfortunate. So there would be. You know, it, I mean, again, I guess you could take a different approach, but. Um, I think the way it's sort of changing over time is at first you have less tired and safer drivers, but the job stays pretty much the same. I think as long as you have a person in the cab, the job is going to be pretty much the same as it is now. Um, what's going to be different is ideally it's going to be safer and it's going to be less tiring and it's going to be more convenient right? because you're going to get these additional layers of safety and convenience on top. It's just going to be more comfortable. Um, I think with that in mind, if you can stay safer for longer, it's possible over time that I think you might be able to start getting some hours of service relief on that because if you can be shown to be safer with technology in a truck, possibly, you know, you don't, you know, you, you're less tired so you can maybe drive longer, you know, that, that actually would require regulatory approval and 
and to get there. But I think maybe as as we try to start scaling the systems up or improving, there's there might be opportunities for that. That would re obviously require deep engagement with regulators. But given that there's some hours of service reforms going on right now, that might be up. Uh, I don't know for conversations. Um, then. Uh, then you know, as as you get eventually, if if there is you know the day that scientific breakthrough comes and on some limited capacity, some lanes, um, there's driverless trucks, maybe some over the road limited route segments, then then the job changes entirely in the sense that there's no maybe maybe drivers at all for the for those runs. But even then, you could imagine that on those lanes are going to attract a lot more traffic, and for first last mile type movements, you might actually end up needing a lot more drivers. But then you, maybe you see people shifting from over the road type driving to more, you know, day halls, regional type um, activity. But again, that's that's pretty speculative right now. That's my I should clarify. That's my own personal opinion, not necessarily Pronto's, because we just don't know. We don't know when. when that day hey, Paul, will before you jump in, I want to follow back up to one of your examples, Ogden. That maybe you let's just say there's been some sort of regulatory relief. The that the. the the driving time has been extended because you do have the the supplement there from the automatic system. So what would you think the driver would be doing while the truck is driving? Are they sleeping? Is it a paperwork scenario? Is it a co-pilot scenario? Oh, no. I, I mean, I think the driver would have to be, so, so just to clarify, I mean, they'd have to be alert and sort of watching the road at, um, at all times. I just think sort of within maybe their 14 hours of on-duty time, there could, there would not be a start, so possibly they could stay safe even maybe beyond 11 hours. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they'd be doing anything too different. I think they should be in the seat paying attention to the road. You could imagine maybe, again, this is kind of speculative, as you get to stop and go type traffic conditions and its systems are proven reliable, maybe at that point if you get stuck in traffic, you could actually get away with and be allowed to text or call ahead or just, just sort of take your off, eyes on the road at certain low speed environments still on the highway while stuck in gridlock to sort of check in, plan ahead, do different things. And by, again, I think for those kinds of things to happen, you'd have to work really carefully with carriers, with regulators, to, to develop best practices and training to enable those kinds of activities. Um, but I think the idea that somebody's going to be napping in the truck for an extended period of time, all the truck drivers itself, and then jump back on duty, it's, it's like, why, right? Like, if you can get away with a person sleeping for hours, then that person shouldn't be in the truck at all, right? Um, because at that point, you're just risking somebody's life by being in a moving vehicle. Right. Um, like, we all do, even the safest drivers, by virtue of being on the road, there's a risk, right? Um, so, so I don't think anybody will be napping. Hopefully not. Like, this is the problem. This is why training is so important, right? People sort of misuse, even you see the videos, right? I'm not going to name any brands of car companies, but you can guess, right? People take YouTube videos of themselves doing crazy things in cars that are not actually self-driving, that they should not. All right, Paul. Sorry, we pivoted yeah. there just a little bit, but no, um, it's fine. You know, kind of, how do you see the the role of the truck driver evolving? Um, so, first of all, Starsky was founded 100% on improving the life of the driver. Here again, Paul uh, upcoming here is going to refer to a man named Stefan. He's talking about Starsky's CEO and co-founder. Uh, FYI. Stefan from the he did an internship in logistics, and and his comment was. This is insane. You know, people are being, you know, asked to be out on the road, away from their families, you know, driving for very extended periods of time, uh, you know, in a monotonous job that uh, you can lose focus very easily. And his, his approach was, hey, we've got to find a way to provide a driver a job where we can take them out of the cab of the truck. Until that happens, 
you're really not going to get the gains from a you know productivity standpoint or the business case to make it work. So he believes very strongly that um, our goal is to get the driver out of the truck eventually. But in the meantime, we actually are one of the few companies that has a career path for a driver. We want to hire qualified, quality drivers after six months you know, of them driving with us. They've got to have at least two years experience, but after six months driving with us, they can become a safety driver. They can do that for a year, and then hopefully by that time, we'll be at a place where we will have multiple teleops centers where they can get up in the morning, pick up their lunchbox, go to work, check in, uh, you know, drive uh, for short periods of time to the pickups or the deliveries, um, and monitor the equipment as it's going around, going down the road, so their job will become much more of a, a, you know, a job where they go to work. Plus, that job appeals to the millennial crew that everybody knows you can't hire right now. Um, you know, somebody said, you know, millennial, millennial hiring, if you hire a millennial driver, there's 300% turnover of that, that driver group, 300%. So you look at, somebody also told me that for every, you know, 50 year plus driver that decides to leave the industry, that driver that has 10 years experience takes 100 drivers to replace that productivity of that driver in one year. And if you don't believe me, just ask any trucking company out there. They'll all tell you, we can't find drivers. We can't find good drivers. It takes us 10 drivers just to get somebody to, to keep the truck moving for six months. So it's a big problem. And we believe the only way to get to the, to the level that we want is to get the driver out of the cab and to give them a job that they can go home to their family every night. And oh, the questions that brings up. Is this, uh, uh, for you, uh, is this the kind of trucking work you're looking for? What's your take on the assistive technologies of today and the various visions of the future described over the course of this panel? If you've got an anecdote or an opinion to share, do weigh in via our podcast message line at 530-408-6423. That's 530-408-6423. We'll round up any thoughts on a future podcast. In the meantime, enjoy the next week. Keep tuned to OverdriveOnline.com for news and various views. And as always, stay safe and stay pro out there. Till next time.